our hands on his belly. Let's all stand together. Now, how many of you saw a piece of candy go by and you said, I hope that get that piece of candy? How many saw? Okay, a few of you did, you know. And we have that experience at Christmas, don't we? You know, you put something on a Christmas list, you say, I'd like to get this, and it's not quite what you want. And so what do you do? You go stand back in a line and you exchange it for something else that you want. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, the gift of exchange. If you've been here with us the last couple of weeks, Tim got us started and talked about the gift of relationships. And last week I talked about the gift of messiness. And this morning we're going to talk about the gift of exchange. And exchange is a wonderful thing, isn't it? I mean, you've got something that doesn't fit, it's not quite right, and you want, a, you want a more comfortable size, or you've got something that's just not exactly the right gift that you want, and you're like, I'll never use that. And so you go and get store credit or whatever you've got to get so that you can end up with something that you really want. Well, what if you could give some things back to God and he would give you a better deal back? I mean, what if all you had was an old CD and you turned that thing in and you got a new surround sound system? That would be a pretty good deal, right? Or a new, new big screen TV. Well, this morning we're going to talk about some things that we have all received in our lives. Some things that have been given to us, some things by our own choice, some things we didn't choose that came to us. And God says to each of us this morning, you have an opportunity to take what I've given to you and exchange it for something from me. And so what I want you to ask this question of yourself today is this question that's on the screen. What do I need to exchange this Christmas season? What do I need to exchange this Christmas season? I want to talk about that all morning. I hope that question sticks with you, and I hope you walk away thinking not only today but this week and think, God, what is it in my life that I need to exchange this Christmas season? And I want to give you a few things to think about that might be things that you want to consider exchanging this morning. The first thing for you to exchange is anxiety for peace. Anxiety for peace. That's a pretty good deal, wouldn't you say? You give God all your anxiety and he gives you peace. Not a bad trade. Not a bad trade. What does Jesus say in Matthew 6, 34? He says this. He says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. Is it Fleetwood Mac? Stop, let's stop thinking about tomorrow, you know. But uh, how did I come up with that? I don't know where I came up with that. But, uh, you know, Jesus says to live in the moment is really what he's saying in that. He said, don't worry about what's coming next. Don't worry about that. That's got enough trouble. You'll get there and you'll be deep in the middle of that. But he said, I want you just to live in the moment today. I want you just to live in the moment today. And I want you to be present with the people that you're here with. You know, we've been talking about this in our small group, about the challenge just to be fully present and fully engaged with people and not be distracted by this, you know, not be distracted by telling something about ourselves, by what's going on, but just to be fully present and engaged with someone and just listen well to them and be there for them. And Jesus says, what would it look like for you to offer that to other people, to offer that? Old country song says this, one day at a time, sweet Jesus, that's all I'm asking from you. Give me the strength to do every day what I have to do. 
Yesterday's gone, sweet Jesus, and tomorrow may never be mine. So for my sake, teach me to take just one day at a time. Guy wrote that while he's going through AA, just trying to figure out how do I make it through the next day? How do I make it through the next day? You know, I think we know as a culture that we're just filled with anxiety. We're filled with anxiety. I read some of these statistics this past week. Um, seven and a half billion headaches each year. Seven and a half billion headaches. That's a lot of headaches. And you know what we do with those headaches? We take lots of medicine. You want to know how much medicine? 165 tons of pills for headaches daily. Daily. Because we're so filled with anxiety, just so overwhelmed with the challenge that we're facing these days. And it's just, it's, part of it's the Christmas season. By the way, who came up with the idea that in one month you have to redecorate your house, and in that same month you have more parties and concerts than the rest of the year added up, and, and in that same month you send letters and cards to everybody that you know, and in that same month, you buy presents for everybody that you love. And in that same month, you bake every cookie you know how to bake. You know, you never do that the rest of the year. Every cookie you know how to bake. Um, and then the kids get out of school for two weeks in the middle of all that, you know. I mean, who came up with this? You know, it's no wonder there's anxiety, right? Right? But it's not just the, the holiday season. That kind of compounds the challenges that we're faced with, isn't it? But sometimes it's just the way we view life. And the way we view the challenges that are in front of us. I came across this of uh, 12 behaviors that um, are generally um, identified as things that cause anxiety. I'm not going to give you all 12. I'll give you five of them just to sit with and think about for a moment. Here's one of them. All or nothing thinking. All or nothing thinking. You know, there's, there's no black and white. There's no gradation. It's just pass or fail. Everything's black and white. If you live in a black and white world, it has to be black and white. You're going to have some growing anxiety because there's a lot of gray in the world. Here's another one. When you speak in generalizations, when you speak in generalizations, you know, this is the kind of person that uses always and never a lot. Bad words in your vocabulary. Bad words in conversation. You always. Why don't you, you know, you never. You know, bad things. Another, another way this shows itself out is when one event becomes a pattern, you know. You, you see your kid steal a can. He's going to jail. I just know he's going to end up in jail. That's where he's going to end up, you know, just... See, one thing happen, and all of a sudden it becomes a pattern, and you just get filled with anxiety. Here's another one. You have a negative filter. You have a negative filter. 80% of the things in your life that happen are positive, 20% are negative, but you view it through a negative filter. You fixate on one thing, and you just ruminate over and over and over again. Here's another one. How about this? You engage in mind reading. You engage in mind reading. Instead of saying to people, why did you do that? Or what did you mean when you said that? You draw your own conclusions. I know why they said that. I know why they did that. And you create lots of reasons in your mind, and that builds anxiety. Here's one more. Use lots of should statements in your mind and for other people. They, they should do that. Parents should do that. I don't know why parents don't do that. Parents should do that. Parents don't do that. Good Christians, they should give to the poor. They should pray more. You know, they, they should be involved in serving. Why don't people do that? You should do this. You should do this. You should do this. You know, when you start shooting all over everybody and everybody else, you're headed towards anxiety, you know. Um, an old Swedish proverb said this, worry cast a long shadow on small things. A long shadow on small things. And that's true. That's true. 
Research says that only 8%, 8% of the things that we worry about come true. That's a pretty small number, isn't it? Pretty small number. And so what God says is he says, you can take all this anxiety, all these things that are part of maybe the way you're wired, some things that have been handed down to you, some things about the way you, you can take all of that and you can hand it off to me and what I will give you is a problem-free life. No, that's not what he says. That's not what he says. We talked about that last week, if you were here with us last week. God doesn't offer us a problem-free life. He offers us peace, peace. And he does that in, in the book of Peter by saying this. He says, give me all of your cares and your worries because God is going to take care of them for you. You ever wonder who's going to take care of this if I don't take care of that? You ever wonder that? I find myself guilty of that often. Who's going to take care of getting that parking lot plowed when the guy that normally does it is out of town and it's got snow on there? Who's going to think about that? You know? I find myself consumed with things that I think I'm the only one. And God says, you can take that on yourself or you can trade. You can exchange what I have to offer to you. You say, how do, how do I do that? Well, Paul talks about that in the book of Philippians. He says this, he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, I want you to pray about it. I want you to talk to God about these things. Tell him what you need, and then thank him for all that he's done. And the next verse, which is not on the screen there, is verse 7 that says this, and it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, you can't understand this, will protect your heart and your mind. Peace of God. Peace of God. Not problem-free living. He doesn't say, I'll trade your anxiety for problem-free living. He said, I'll trade your anxiety for peace that no one else is going to know and understand. You say, what does that look like, John? What does that look like? It's a peace that recognizes that God's in control and I'm not. When I worry, I'm taking control from God. It's crazy, but I am. I think I am. When I worry, I'm taking care of things myself and I'm not giving them to him. And he says, if you do this, you're going to experience a peace. You're going to experience a contentedness in your heart, a stability in your mind, even though life is churning around you, that only comes from me. Only comes from me. God says, you can trade this ugly sweater of worry and anxiety for peace, for my peace. Jesus said this, he says, my peace I give unto you. His peace, his peace. Not the absence of conflict, but calm in the midst of conflict. That's what Jesus offers to you. And so as you anticipate holiday gatherings, and you, as, you, as you anticipate time with family and friends, and, and, and some of you, as you, even as I mention that and talk about it, you can start to feel the anxiety start to rising in you. You have a choice to make today. You can say, God, I... I'm not sure how I'm going to deal with this. I'm not sure how I'm going to navigate this, but I want to trade. Can we make this trade? I want to give this to you. And you might have to give it to him a lot over the next few days and weeks. Um, I want to trade this for your peace that you offer. So the first thing that he offers to exchange is anxiety for peace. And so what do you need to exchange this Christmas season? What do you need to exchange this Christmas season? I want to give you another one to think about. Here's a second one. Um, are you willing to exchange wounds for healing? Wounds for healing. We give God hurts, and God gives us healing. That's a pretty good trade. 
if I say so myself. Um, the truth is, everyone here is hurting in some way. Hurting in some way. Maybe you had a real difficult week. Maybe you had a physical injury and just you're kind of feeling it this morning with the, the weather change. You're feeling some kind of ache. But if it's not that, it's something deep inside here. Something way back there that we try to avoid. The truth is, none of us have bulletproof vests to avoid pain. None of us do. Um, Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But he says, I have a solution. You can bring that trouble to me, just like we talked about. In Psalm 130, the psalmist, did, David writes this, From the sea of trouble, I call out to you, Lord. Maybe it feels like a sea of trouble to you this morning, and you're just trying to keep your head up. You're treading water, just trying to stay up. He then says this in Psalm 138, Though I'm surrounded by troubles, you will bring me safely through them. Your power will save me. And then lastly, in Nahum 1.7, he says, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in Him. He cares for those who trust in Him. You know, I was thinking as I was reading this verse and talking about it earlier, <clears throat> thinking about those refugees from Syria and Aleppo, you know, that are trying to find a window just to escape. And they're trying to figure out where do they go? Where do they go? And they end up in refugee camps with just the clothes on their back. And, and God says, your situation doesn't have to be as dire as theirs, but it can still feel like you are up to here. And God says, you can come to me with that. The truth is, pain is inevitable. We can't avoid pain, but misery certainly is optional. So you have the question to ask. You have a question to ask yourself today. What am I going to do with my pain? If we all have pain, I think we probably could agree and take a vote that we all do in some form. What am I going to do with that? What am I going to do with that pain? As I was thinking about what we do with pain, I thought, what do I do? What do we do when we cut ourselves and we have an injury? Well, what's the first thing you do? You cut yourself. You have an injury. What's the first thing you do? Try to do what? Stop the what? Bleeding, right? Try to stop the bleeding. So you might put pressure on it, right? We kind of know you put pressure on it and maybe wrap it up with something. But the bleeding doesn't stop. And so where do you go if the bleeding doesn't stop? Then where do you go? If you're a little kid mom, you know, but, um, you know, where do you go? You go to urgent care, right? You go to urgent care. Sorry to bring this up, Frank. It's probably fresh on your mind. So, um, but, uh, you know. So you go to urgent care, and urgent care says, oh, that's too bad. We can't do anything about that. So, so then they send you where? They send you to the ER, right? send to the ER, and they're like, oh, we got to get some surgeons in here and got to do some stuff, got to clean this up, and, and, um, and they take care of us. But what happens if you would ignore that wound? What happens if you would ignore it and you get a little dirt in it? Infection, right? You get a little infection. And then, and then you might start to feel some pain. I'm feeling pain there. Why am I feeling pain here all of a sudden, you know? Why? It's gotten into the, the bloodstream, right? And then it can cause, there can be other things that can happen because of that. And you might actually not have part of your body that's able to function because there's so much pain that could eventually, if not treated, take your life. Take your life. And I thought, the way that we handle wounds, you know, is, that, is there some parallel to how we handle those wounds of our heart, those wounds on the inside? Because probably the first thing you ask the, the doctor says to you, when you go to the doctor and you've had an injury, one of the first things I think the doctor usually says is, so tell me what? What happened, right? 
They want to know what happened. They want to know a little history. They want to go backwards and find out some things about the events that surrounded this wound that took place in your life. And then, and then they might ask you some questions about what? Your family history. To know if there's things in your family history that should influence whether you can take certain medications or not take certain medications. I thought, wow, there's a lot of parallels between things being taken care of in our hearts and things being taken care of in our bodies. So I realize that sometimes these wounds, sometimes they're wounds because of injuries that we cause ourselves. Sometimes these wounds are because of things that have been done to us that we have no control over. We had two people in our church this week that are going to have surgery. One, broken leg, accident, something they did to themselves. Um, another one, um, related to cancer, something that they did not do anything to have that happen to them. And so these wounds that we live with, these pains that we feel, these things are sometimes things that are done to us and sometimes things that we have no control over. As I thought about these wounds and this process of healing, I thought, so, so I'm supposed to take this stuff to God, which I think I've done that, but it doesn't always go away right away. Well, if I hurt myself physically, who do I go to? I go to a doctor. I go to someone who's specialized that can walk me through this. Maybe that's what I need to do with something, wounds in my heart, wounds in my life. And maybe they're going to walk me back through some of my story and want to know a little bit more about my family and walk me back into some, I don't really know if I want to go and deal with that stuff. You know, when I was a little kid, I was not quite five years old, my dad explained the gospel to me and I started to follow Jesus. I didn't really know and understand what it meant. But I knew that's who I wanted to give my life to, to Jesus. But it wasn't until much later, in my mid-40s, when I started to walk back and look at some of the wounds in my life, when I met Jesus. I say, what's the difference, John? I was a little kid. My dad offered to me salvation that Jesus offers to all of us. And I said, I want to receive that gift. I want to receive that gift. But when I started to look at the wounds in my life, I realized I had nowhere else to turn. And nobody could walk in this with me. And that's where Jesus showed up in my life once again. And as I periodically over the last few years have walked backwards to look at these things and face these wounds in my life, I've consistently found myself having Jesus showing up and meeting me there. And so when I talk about the healing that Jesus offers to you, as we talked about last week, sometimes that healing is going to be painful. You go in to see the doctor, right? And you've cut yourself and you've wrapped it all up. It's going to have to pull that off, right? Maybe cut some stuff away. Probably going to hurt to clean that up, right? But that pain is going to be the doorway to healing that God offers to each one of us. And so for some of you, you need to go back and look at those wounds because this ugly sweater that you wish you didn't have to wear, every day you look in the mirror and it's there. 
and you wish you could take this thing off permanently and sell it at goodwill and never have to see it again. And that's what Jesus offers to us. The Bible describes Jesus as the one who heals the brokenhearted, who sets the captives free. And that's what he does when he offers us wounds for healing. You say, John, how do I know if I've really experienced God's healing in this part of my life? How do I know if there's been healing in this part of my life? And I say to people often, and it's been true of my own experience, that when I can talk about my story without shame, when God gives me opportunity, then there's been healing in my life. Paul talks about this in Second Corinthians chapter 1. He says this, talking about God's Spirit. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who's going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. So how do you know when you've experienced healing? When God brings someone else into your life, and he will, who's going through a similar struggle as you. And he says, I want you to walk alongside of this person. I want you to share your story and give them hope and point them to Jesus. So what do you need to exchange this Christmas season? What do you need to exchange? Anxiety for peace, wounds for healing. This last one is a very specific kind of pain that shows up um, at Christmas, and it's grief. Grief for joy. Grief for joy. I heard this week that um, for every loss in our lives, there's a season of grief that needs to happen. For every loss in our lives, there's a season of grief that needs to happen. And if you have experienced losses stacked on top of one another, that's often what causes in people's lives, um, autoimmune diseases, post-traumatic stress, all those things, because we are not designed to handle loss after loss after loss. And so every loss, there's a season where we grieve that loss. The truth is everyone will grieve. No one can avoid grief. You say, why can no one avoid grief? The reason no one can avoid grief is because you love. That's the reason. You love someone, you love something, and when that someone or that something is taken from you, your heart grieves because you no longer are able to experience that. And there's only one way to avoid grief, and that's not to love. That's not to love. But you know, it's remarkable because no matter how hard you try to lock your heart away and you try to say, I'm not going to love, I'm not going to open myself up to that risk, to that potential to have my heart wounded again, somehow, in some way, God finds a way to break into that our lives. It could be through a person. It could be through something said. It could be through a song that we hear. And something shows up in our lives that breaks in and without warning... Our heart just begins to grow. A little bit like this guy. Remember the story of this guy? His heart was really, really small, right? Really, really tiny. There was no love there. There was no there. He just wanted to do harm, right? The whole town of Whoville. Feel everything. But God, you, you know, this story, this one little person was able to be used to start to crack open that hard heart and for that heart to begin to grow, right? And that heart grew to the point that there was more joy than he could even contain in himself, right? Goofy Grinch. 
But isn't that what God does? Isn't that what God does? Because sometimes in our grief, we become so overwhelmed. And grief is hard. Grief is hard. Um, But grief is there because we love. And because the Bible says God is love and we're made in God's image. And so we can't not love. No matter how difficult is it for us. And this time of year is a time in which grief happens because one of the things that happens is we sit around tables and we share holiday gatherings with loved ones and there's someone who's always at the table who's not there this year. This Thanksgiving, my family, it was just the four of us. We had tried to make arrangements with other family members. It just didn't work out. And so we're like, okay, it'll be just the four of us. And, and we realized it had been a long, long, long time. We couldn't quite remember when it had ever been just the four of us. Because my aunt, who passed away about a year and a half, whenever it was just the four of us, she was always there. And she wasn't there this year. And so we just missed her being there with us. Um, Sometimes it's not only just people's presence. Sometimes it's sights. Sometimes it's sounds. Sometimes it's smells that trigger those things. Whenever my siblings are all together, we always talk about my grandmother's sweet potatoes, and and not with fond affection because none of us like their sweet potatoes. Um, But my loving grandmother, every year she would make sweet potatoes and offer us some. Wouldn't you like some sweet potatoes? Wouldn't you? And we're like, no, Grandma. And for some reason, my mother, I don't know why, she let us pass on that. She never let us pass on anything. You had to eat stuff that you couldn't hardly stand. But she let us pass on Grandma's sweet potatoes. I'm not sure why, you know. But when we sit around the table at, at... Christmas or at New Year's and we remember our family, remember grandmom's sweet potatoes. You know, and memories do that. Memories do that. You know, and the crazy part about grief is that you can't control it. Grief just shows up. Grief sometimes blindsides you and all of a sudden it's there. But God offers you something different. He says, I want you to to consider trading your grief for joy. Your grief for joy. And what God doesn't say, he doesn't say, I want you to stuff this grief. I want you to bury it. I want you to suppress it and just say, I'm I'm over it. That's not what God says. Because if you do that, it's going to leak out. Grief is a powerful emotion. It'll leak out in anger. It'll leak out in depression. It'll leak out in anxiety. And that the base of much of that is grief. But what God says is, he says, I want you to talk about this, and I want you to process this, and I want you to engage this, because if you do, it will lead to something pretty remarkable. Psalm 30, verse 11 says this, you've turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You've taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with great joy. The way to release grief is to enter into it, to talk about the people that are no longer there. Some of you will be entering this Christmas season with people who are no longer there. And um, even as I talk about it, your heart aches, your eyes get misty, and it's hard. It's hard. And God says, don't ignore it. Don't try to bury it, but embrace that. Talk about those individuals, share stories, memories of them. That's why sharing those at a funeral is so powerful because it allows us to process our grief. And if we do that, God promises this in John 16, verse 20. He says this, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. I say, what happens when we think about and remember the people who are no longer there, when we don't run from grief, but we embrace the grief that's there? 
there's a couple things that happens. The first thing that happens is we remember, we realize that life on this earth is not all that there is. That God's very clear that there is more to this life than just what we see here. We're reminded that God has a plan, and God offers not only to us, but every person alive, an opportunity for a relationship in which you can enjoy Him forever. You are discovered that you live in a broken world because of sin. That's the reason why death occurs, right? Because of sin, way back in the garden. But that's not God's final plan. We aren't just stuck And there's more to this story, and the book of Revelation says that one day sin will be defeated and sin will be destroyed, and God will make everything new. You see, when we enter grief, we find hope, and we find peace, we find purpose in our lives. We find that there's a reason you're here, alive, today, on this earth, in the relationships God has planted you. And it gives you great and incredible joy. The struggle is we're programmed against joy. We're programmed against joy. Fortunately, we are now through the election season. Thank goodness for that, you know. But we're programmed against it. I mean, when we hear the weather report, we hear 20% chance of rain. We don't hear 80% chance of sunshine, do we? You know, we're programmed against joy. Someone brings us a good idea and we say, that's not a bad idea. Instead of, that's a really great idea just instinctively programmed against joy. And it takes a lot of work and a lot of effort in sitting in this stuff to realize there's something bigger and greater. It's about God, not just about me, that brings me an incredible amount of joy. God says this in the book of Isaiah, as he's talking about the Messiah coming. He says this, He says the Messiah is going to come, and he said he's going to provide for those who grieve in Zion. That's the land of Israel. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. They would put ashes, sackcloth and ashes, when they would grieve a loss. The oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. You know, in that culture and in that day when you would travel and you would come to be with friends and family, like many of you likely will do over the next few days and weeks, and maybe some of you have just done that. Um, In those days, you would travel by foot in the dusty land of Israel. And so you would travel by foot, and as you would get there, there would usually be a bowl of water there for you to, to kind of wash your face and just to refresh yourself. And to wash your hands and your arms off. And then, and then to take your sandals off. And sometimes there would be someone to wash their feet like Jesus did for the disciples. And then after washing your hands and face and feet, they might, they might give you some oil to put on your hands. just to, They might be dried and cracked out just to smooth and soothe your hands and your feet. And then they would say, take off that dusty garment. Take that garment off. We're going to hang that outside and and shake that out. We'll get someone to clean that up for you. But here's a fresh garment. And I want you to wrap yourself in this fresh new garment. And then you hear, it's so good to have you here. Welcome to our home. As I wrote those words, I thought, how often do I hear those words? How often do I say those words? So good to have you here. Welcome to our home. And others feel just the sense of delight of being there. And that's what God offers to each of us today. 
In just a moment, we're going to celebrate communion, the Lord's table, and remember the blood and the, that was shed for us and the body of Jesus that was broken for us. And, and Jesus says to each of us, he says, come on in. Come on in. I know things have been hard. I know you've faced some difficult times. I want you to freshen up. I want you to put on something that's going to make you feel good, and I want you to put on a garment, not of despair, but a garment of praise, because you're here with me, and it's so good to have you here. As we go to communion, I just want to ask you to bow your heads with me, and as we do, I want to give you a moment just to bring whatever God maybe has put on your heart that you want to exchange this Christmas. Maybe it's anxiety, wounds, or grief for peace, healing, and joy. Just take a moment and talk to him.